The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 254 for Thursday, November 13th, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number is 347-324-3541. You can listen, chat, and watch live by heading over to MTR Live or GFQLive.tv. Archived episodes of the show are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in radio and also on our YouTube channel and mytakeradio.com and rageworks.net as well. If this is your first time tuning in, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, this show, ha- this show has strong language, so listener and viewer discretion is advised. All right, so we're back in the saddle. We did not do our wrestling and MMA show yesterday. I actually. Uh, miscalculated my scheduling, and um, yesterday was my one-year wedding anniversary, so yeah, was not doing a show yesterday. That was not the plan, <laughs> so um had to do some last-minute changes, but uh, everything was great. Uh, we had a good time, and uh, onwards to the next year. Anyway, uh, let's get into a couple of things that are on deck for tonight. I got a story for you guys to share about an incident at the Sony store that I'm sure will probably annoy a lot of you guys just as much as it annoyed me. We're also going to get into all the gaming news of the week. We're also going to talk about the MPD numbers. As always, we will take your calls if you're interested in contributing to the show. I'm sure that Slick will be sharing his thoughts on this week's gaming news, especially with what's been going on with GTA 5 on next-gen consoles. I know for a fact Slick is going to be very vocal about that stuff for sure. All right, a couple of things... Uh, One thing I did want to mention, and this is something I got to just get out there every week uh, for the month of November, we are broadcast schedule for next week is Wednesday and Thursday, as always, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Uh, The week of Thanksgiving, we will only be doing the show, obviously, Wednesday night. It may be a full show with all four categories in one show, or it may be a little bit from column A and column B. We'll see how it goes. As always, you know, Thanksgiving is Thursday, but we'll still be putting out content even throughout the holiday weekend as we've been doing thus far. Uh, For those of you that have asked, yes, we are still looking for 
writers and contributors for RageWorks.net. As many of you know, or if you're not aware, MyTakeRadio.com will only uh, have show content only. All our reviews and everything else are being migrated to RageWorks.net. The only stuff that will be on MyTakeRadio over the coming weeks will only be show stuff. So there you have it. MyTakeRadio for the show stuff, all our movie reviews and everything else, RageWorks.net. Uh, one other thing I did want to bring up, uh, a couple of guys asked if we're going to be doing new t-shirts for RageWorks. Uh, we will plan on opening a, um, you know, we will plan on opening a t-shirt shop for RageWorks in the coming weeks. I know a couple of you guys want to rep that stuff the same way those of you have been repping my take radio with all the t-shirts and stuff. So props to you guys for that. We definitely appreciate it. Um, so that's pretty much what's on deck for this evening. Of course, we're going to have entertainment news as well. I think we even have some what the fuck movie news this week, which I kind of want to get into because our entertainment segment is definitely a little heavy this week, but we'll get to that shortly. Anyway, let's, let me share this crazy story with you guys. So as many of you know, and a lot of you guys that know me off air, you guys know that I, I buy a lot of Sony products. It's not by choice. It's not because I'm a Sony fanboy or anything. I just like the quality of their products. Most of the stuff that I've bought from Sony has never disappointed, whether it's a TV, a DVD player, their consoles, etc. I've never had any issues with Sony. Um, the last TV I bought which is the the current television I'm using is a great TV. I got a great deal on it and it actually gives me one of the best pictures I've seen. And I've had a couple of different flat screen TVs over time, but Sony consistently has, you know, impressed me with their quality. Um, Our photos for rageworks.net and mytakeradio.com have been shot all with Sony cameras um, from their DSLR to their hybrid cameras to my current kit, which is a Sony RX 10 Um, and you know, I buy all their consoles simple as that. Anyway, so I decided to pick up the evil within and alien isolation for the PlayStation four. And when I did, I brought them home and a couple of days passed and I checked my inbox and I got a, um, some packages from Gamefly. So obviously the games were in there. And of course, with black Friday around the corner and circular starting to come out, I realized that both games we're going to be roughly $25 to $30, depending on which retailer you go to. Um, I believe Best Buy is going to have those two games for $24.99. Target may have them for $29.99. In any case, they're definitely going to be less than the $60 I paid a piece. So since I hadn't opened the games, I figured, you know what? I didn't open them, and I got the rentals, so I'm going to return them. Simple as that. So I went into the Sony-style store yesterday, And, um, I walked in, I'm like, listen, I want to give you guys these games back. I didn't open them. Don't need them. I, you know, I just, you could credit me back the, the money on my, on my Sony card. Well, we don't accept returns on PlayStation games. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, well, PlayStation games are final sale. So I said to myself, so let me get this straight. Your flagship console, your, your, your most aggressive piece of technology and I can't return two unopened games for this system. I can understand if it was a PS3 or maybe an accessory, but these are two brand new unopened games. So yeah, you know, it's final sale on the games, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, I just, I don't need them. So what can you guys do for me? 
So up and down, up and down. They didn't want to accept the games back. They were like, listen, we'll do an exchange. So basically I had $120 plus tax to spend in the Sony store. So I'm walking around the store and I don't need shit. You know, I have a Samsung Galaxy Note 3 that I use. That's my primary phone. So I didn't need a phone. And while I did need some home theater speakers, they, I, you know, I didn't need to buy them right this instant. So I'm looking through the store, looking through the store. didn't need a camera. So I walked by and I saw the, um, the Sony smartwatch. I asked, oh, how much is it? 149 bucks. So needless to say, I am now the proud owner of a Sony smartwatch. <laughs> uh, this of course is because they didn't want to take the games back. Now it just, it, I was frustrated for a couple of reasons. Any retailer, whether it be Target, Best Buy, or any other store, if you buy any games, movies, software, etc., and they are unopened, you can return them. Simple as that. So it just it just really left a, a you know a, a really really bad bad experience in my mind, especially when I've gone into the Sony store, like I said, TV, console, Blu-ray players, and countless accessories, my Sony Google TV etc, etc, etc. So, uh, moral of the story, Slick says the moral of the story is fuck the Sony store, which is true, but the real moral of the story is definitely buy the games at local retailers and don't buy them from specialty shops unless you plan on reading the entire receipt because it just it just boggled my mind. Anyway, uh, real quick, the, the smartwatch isn't bad. A couple of things I don't like about it, um, but, uh, you know, it's it's so far so good. I mean... I figured I might, if I'm going to take the loss, I might as well take the loss and get something I may use. And in any case, if I turn around and I don't like the smartwatch, at least I can sell that and it won't depreciate as much as the games do because you guys know that even if the games are brand new and you try to sell them on eBay or someplace else, most retailers will try and beat you over the head. I've seen it happen with GameStop. I've seen it happen at mom and pop shops. They don't give a shit to them. It's like, well, you know, we'll give you $45 for it. And that's, that's not the case. So um, lesson learned. The other thing I wanted to talk about is a lot of, a lot of you guys who I know personally on Facebook have been sharing your comments on all the different retailers that I have been sharing on my page that are open on Thanksgiving. Now I, I'm sharing this because I obviously like to hear the opinions of, of, you know, my friends and my acquaintances and my family, but I also want to use that because it's, it's just great great conversation for the show. So as many of you know, a lot of retailers have changed their strategy going into this holiday season and have decided to pull the trigger on opening their stores on Thanksgiving. Most of them are opening their stores from 5 p.m. slightly earlier. Either they're open all the way through Black Friday or they're open till midnight or some combination of, of, of hours. And the funny thing is, as somebody who worked in retail, Here's here's where I stand. I feel that while I understand that, you know, in the rules of big business, money has to be made. I also feel that there's we have very few days on the calendar to truly, truly, truly enjoy with our families. Great examples. Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, any of the other assorted holidays. And depending on who you are, some some of you may celebrate more holidays than others. But I've always felt that Thanksgiving and Christmas are one of the few times where you can bring your entire family together under one roof and possibly not kill them versus other times during the year. So, you know, it just it just bothers me that you can't forego 
one day to sell a, a, a Polaroid TV for 50 bucks. And, and the depressing part is that this is happening with more and more retailers, stores like Best Buy, um, Office Max, which, which I was discussing earlier today, and, and countless other stores just pulling the trigger. And while I understand that there are some people that don't celebrate Thanksgiving and they can go and work, work the holiday and, you know, it's a, it's quote unquote voluntary. Let's not kid ourselves while working Thanksgiving may be voluntary working black Friday is not. So, you know, the people that do celebrate will have to cut their dinner short and run to work to prepare for black Friday. And, and again, you know, I have a love hate relationship with black Friday just because it's becoming less and less about the occasional deal and more and more about just cramming really, really shitty deals down everybody's throats and people just killing each other for things that really aren't worth. They're not even worth what they are retail, much less what they are priced at black Friday. And I'll be honest, a lot of the games that they put on, on, you know, for half price or whatever crazy deals they do, you could wander into a store sometimes 11 AM, 12 noon, and you can find those titles. You can. And even if, even if, you know, after I finish eating for Thanksgiving, if I wanted to venture out there and maybe pick up a game or two, you know, at least I got my dinner. I enjoyed it. And it's not mandatory. My world will not end if I don't, if I don't venture out to buy some shit on Thanksgiving or Black Friday. It's just, it's just not the case. The only reason I put this out there is because I know a lot of, a lot of you guys, a lot of our listeners, some of you guys are involved in retail and some of you guys are very bummed about it. Uh, you know, are very bummed about the entire concept and the fact that, you know, the family traditions and your family holidays are taking a hit. And the only way that I feel that we can change this is by speaking with the most important thing that we have. That, ladies and gentlemen, is our wallet. If if you walk into a store to buy a TV on Thanksgiving, you are you are adding to the fire that is there. That's all you're doing. You're you're throwing another log in the fire and you're and you're just telling retailers that it's okay to you know sacrifice one holiday for the expense of, of selling you know a cheap ass TV or a shitty DVD player or to, or a twenty pack of socks or whatever other garbage people are out there killing each other for. Um, when my wife used to work retail, I used to drop her off at Best Buy. Best Buy would would start letting their employees in at two a.m. And they would open at 5 a.m. on Black Friday, sometimes 4. And just the madness, you'd see these people lined up from 11 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, waiting, waiting, counting down for a shitty laptop or a, or a terrible TV or one of those really awful portable DVD players. And again, it's just it's just one of those things. Yeah. Or three weeks before Slick. This is true. I didn't even want to get into that. But, um, the, you know, I just I just don't understand the, the value in that. I understand you want to get the upper hand or you want to get a good deal, but you can get a good deal that Friday. Hell, you could get a good deal that Saturday or that Sunday. Or if or if you don't even want to leave your house, just wait till Cyber Monday. It's it really is crazy. And I shared a piece um, about two about two individuals that were allegedly camping out from now camping out from now for Black Friday, which is crazy to me. But this is this is what's going on. I'll be honest and I and I'll and I'll be a hundred percent on the on the level with you guys. No deal that is that I've seen so far for Black Friday is enough to forsake me leaving my family or running out on my family on Thursday night 
to buy it. It's just it's just not there. If if you want to check out a lot of these deals for yourselves, go to bfads.net. That's the uh, the Black Friday ad site. See all the ads for yourself. Get a strategy together. And some people they make it a, a whole big family outing. They go out with their families. They strategize. They hit all the stores. They get all their shopping done, and they make a big a, a big thing out of it. And that's cool, you know. If that's if that's what you and your family do, that's great. But don't 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 cut your Thanksgiving your holiday short with the people closest to you for a cheap ass TV or a game that may or may not be worth the investment. You're going to get shoved, pushed, deal with complete lunatics that day for what? For a shitty ass TV, maybe a Blu-ray player, an occasional $5 Blu-ray. It's not worth it, folks. That's all I'm saying. On the contrary, research, plan your attack and go out on Friday or Saturday or, or just sit on your ass Monday and buy everything. It's that simple. For those of you that have Amazon Prime, I believe that Amazon is going to be giving uh, Black Friday access to Prime users first. So you can go on there if you're a Prime user and get all your Black Friday shopping out of your system. And you don't even got to leave your house. You could sit there in your turkey coma with your pants rolled down and your stomach hanging over and be all good. Don't don't forsake the the, the valuable time that you have with your with your family and your loved ones and those closest to you for a shitty ass TV or a couple of games. It's not worth it, ladies and gentlemen. But again, that's just my take. If you don't agree, then good luck on Thursday and Friday with that bullshit. Anyway, let's get into this week's gaming segment. We got a lot to discuss, so let's get that ball rolling. All right, so I'm going to cue Slick up and bring him in because I know... I want to get the ball rolling with GTA. Uh, GTA 5 has been generating a lot of news these last couple of weeks. Everything from enhanced graphics to next-gen features to the online heist modes, etc., etc., etc. Fans are chomping at the bit. They can't wait. But there's still a lot of stuff that people may or may not know. And our very own Slick has been handling the bulk of the coverage for GTA from current gen all the way to next gen. So I definitely want to have him on board for this because I'm sure he's going to have a lot to share with you guys. Slick, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So as we know, GTA comes out Tuesday and the press for the game is running rampant. The The PR machine is in full effect. You should know from your inbox as well as mine. And um, there's a lot of misinformation floating out there. So I want to toss the ball to you with regards to that. Um, what is it that, that fans of the series need to know in, in preparation for Tuesday? And um, are there any strategies that they should have with regards to picking up the game? Are there some stores offering more incentives than others? Or is it completely the same across the board? Well, there's no um, Black Friday type strategies that anybody needs to get the game. Okay, If you want the game next week... You know, you can go to a you know go to BestBuy.com and find out which stores in your area are going to have a midnight release. GameStop is probably doing something similar they usually do for Grand Theft Auto, or just get up and get it on Tuesday the 18th. It'll be available. As far as incentives, the only incentive is that if you pre-ordered the game, you get one million dollars worth of uh, in-game cash, which is split between your your um, offline and your online game. Okay. The um, 
I don't know if they're giving all three characters of the offline game $500,000 or if they're just going to give Franklin $500,000 because the game starts with Franklin. Right. Uh, your, your online your online account will have $500,000. The cash for your online uh, characters, it goes from, it's like even if you have one on one character, it goes from character to character. So that's, that's nothing to worry about. The... Um, with the offline, you know, each character has their own cash. Right. Uh, other than that, there is one rumor that is swirling around that I really, unfortunately, need to squash. And it's the, the biggest problem with that rumor is what I always complain about. Riff. Reading is fundamental, people. <laughs> the, the wording is there, and I see how people are misunderstanding it, but... It's there. If you read it, you'll you'll understand. The rumor is that the extremely for extremely long awaited online heist mode is going to be available with an update on day one, November eighteenth. Ladies and gentlemen, that is one hundred percent false. I wish I could say it wasn't, but that is false. Online Heist Mode will not be available on November 18th. It will be available with the first update that that Rockstar releases for Grand Theft Auto Online after the release of the game. Right. That is specifically... In fact, I'm, I'm trying to get it right now for you. Wasn't it in one of our emails, too, that we got? Well, in our emails, it just said that Online Heist Mode is coming and that it's coming to all versions of the game. Because right. A lot of the new stuff that's coming to the re-release on the Xbox One and PlayStation 4, for example, first-person mode, will not be available on the PlayStation 3 or the Xbox 360, which that kind of pissed me off, because even though I'm getting the new version, it's, it's really kind of shafting the people who made the game great. I'm glad you put that out there, because I'm sure that there are a couple of listeners that haven't made the jump to next-gen yet um, and are waiting for whatever Black Friday deal may pop out and you know they they may just be trying to maximize what they have now so it's good it's good that we're putting that information out there so much like slick said just to reiterate no first person mode on ps3 or xbox 360 if that is a feature that will make or break your experience with the game and you haven't made the jump to next gen then you better get your shillings together and start getting your your consoles ready to move on to the next gen Here's the, here's the line, and this is from the official Rockstar Newswire uh, website. It says, we know you're all excited for more updates to come. We've got some really exciting stuff in the works to continue adding to, expanding, and evolving, sorry, evolving the world of Grand Theft Auto Online, including the highly anticipated launch of Online Heist, which will be available for all, all four consoles, as the first, and this is the specific line, as the first GTA Online update to happen after the game launches on PS4 and Xbox One. Okay. Translation, it's coming after November 18th. If the update comes November 19th, yeah, you'll get it November 19th. Which is but after the, the game is out. That, that <laughs> news release says we'll have some details on that very soon as well. Now, the reason why I tell people don't hold your breath and expect it on Tuesday is, one, because simple reading comprehension tells you 
It's not coming on the 18th with that one line. Second, Rockstar, and I hate to shit on them because everybody knows I love Grand Theft Auto. I love Rockstar Games. Right. Rockstar Games promised online hype by the end of spring 2014. Today is November 13th, people. That's a little bit later than spring. (laughs) Just a little bit. Well played, sir. Well played. So don't expect it next week. It's coming. It, I'm, I'm quite sure they will release it when it's ready. For some reason or another, it's not ready, and that's why they're not releasing it. Well, here's here's a couple of things I wanted to put out there. Is it worth uh, giving, ex, you know, putting the pressure on Rockstar to get a day one update when, and this is something that you can probably agree with, when everybody's going to jump on those servers immediately? Nobody wants to turn on a game and have an update automatically. Like any people just want to jump in and play. I mean, if it's necessary, if it's necessary, then so be it. But you know, you want to put in, you want to put the disc in, turn the system on, and be ready to rock and roll. That's it. And I just feel that if if the online heist mode is such an important component, then it's a component that you would rather take a day or two to get finalized and to have the servers allocated for the amount of volume versus pulling the trigger too early and dealing with what's been happening so far with, you know, Halo servers and countless other games that they just come out of the gate with all the features not completed or still with some bugs. And then these companies got to backpedal and drop updates. I mean, a great example, Assassin's Creed Unity has all kinds of shit, all kinds of bugs going on. Yeah. And another great example is Grand Theft Auto five, which has not even counting all the hackers, fucking shit up for the people who wanted to enjoy the game. Right. It has come across many bugs with the updates. But guess what? Unlike games like Assassin's Creed, Unity, Halo, Call of Duty, Advanced Warfare, people can complain because, you know, you would expect the game to work. But guess what Grand Theft Auto V has done that all these games haven't done? What's that? Released 11 updates since September 17, 2013, for the grand total of zero dollars. This is true. I mean, they've never charged you for any DLC, and they're not charging you for any, you know, for the foreseeable future. Well, I got, I got something that's so, going to blow your mind with regards to the DLC, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up. Can you believe that in Assassin's Creed Unity they have a special currency that you can buy with real money to buy the enhancements for your characters? How wow. crazy! How crazy is that? So you you have to you don't have to use you don't have to use your own money, but they they would rather if you want to get through it faster and upgrade faster, use your own money to buy the game currency to upgrade your characters. Again, this goes back to what we talked about last week and it is something that I continue to be very vocal and very adamant about. I understand the necessity for people to pay for season passes and occasional enhancements here and there. But to make people have to spend money to buy currency, to buy more shit, is ridiculous. Like, I think 99,000 like credits last, cost last 100 bucks. Aside from you, South Park released an episode making fun of cell phone games that where you, you know, the, you tap and you, you spend money to buy money. And they call them freemium games. They're like, they were, they were saying the, the M-I-U-M and freemium means not really in latin <laughs> that's pretty funny the i'm trying to find it so i can tell you guys what the breakdown is for the um 
the in-game currency. So according to what they said, and I'm going to share this with you guys from IGN, the um, it has uh, creed points that reward interesting decisions with currency that can be spent to upgrade weapons and armor. Players can forego earning in-game credits and purchase unlockables by buying Helix credits with real money. For instance, players can upgrade the Sword of Eden for 180 Helix credits. Now, under the current model, Helix credit packs range from 19.99 for 1400 credits to $99, well, 100 bucks for 20,000 credits. This is straight from IGN. This is straight from their site. I just want to put this in perspective. You're spending your money to buy money to upgrade your character. Spending real money to buy fake money. There you go. And the worst part, the worst part is that they tell you, yeah, you know, you can do that and you can you can use that money. Um, I mean, you can earn those credits in the game. But who is genuinely going to earn 20,000 credits in the game unless they're a person that's in the same that that utilizes the same strategy as you slick which is to complete the entire fucking game and and that's not a knock against you because dude you got my utmost respects to invest that much energy into completing the games at a hundred percent very few people i know do that often and that's kind of that's your thing me i like to enjoy the game beat the game and move on maybe i'll go back if it's something i want to kind of mess around with but as long as I get a cool ending and I like the game, fuck it. But you you want somebody that just spent 60 bucks on the game to spend $100 to buy in-game currency. It, it's insane. It, 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 it literally boggles my mind. And we thought that last week's $50 season pass was a kick in the nuts. This currency shit is insane, too, because it's just more nickel and diming. And it, and it infuriates me as a gamer that we're going to continue to fall prey to these tactics because nobody speaks up nobody speaks up enough to make themselves heard. You mean to tell me that if I want to buy a pair of red pants for my fucking assassin, I got to pay you 20 bucks or whatever it is? Come on, man. Fuck out of here. It's bullshit. Everybody's been doing that since at least Black Flag for for um Assassin's Creed cuz I noticed that you could buy shit with real money on the um in the, the Ubisoft store. Right. And honestly, even Rockstar's guilty of that because you can if you want to buy money buy buy the in game money with real money in the um the Rockstar social club, but it's just so damn easy to make money online in that game that it, it's not worth it. Nobody I don't know anybody that would even I've never even discussed it with anybody that plays the game. Well, I'm, it's that easy to make money in the online mode. Well, I want to toss this to people in the chat. If you had a, a choice between paying $5 more for a game and not having to buy all the DLC or being a slave to DLC and microtransactions, which would you choose? And I'm curious to see what people say. Slick, if you had that choice, if they said, you know, we're going to make games, whatever, sixty four ninety nine, but you're going to get lifetime DLC or lifetime in-game currency for the duration of the game. Would you feel comfortable paying the extra five bucks and getting a more complete experience versus paying less money and then being nickel and dimed left and right? No, and I'll explain why. Okay. I understand that making games costs money. Absolutely. But 
you don't need a movie budget to make a fantastic game. <laughs> and proof of that are games like Calamari Damasis. Right. Most basic graphics in the world. It's a fucking fantastic game. This is true, but I'll... I'll, I'll... And Go ahead. The thing is, it's like... And it's not with every game, but take a game like... Take a game made by um, EA. All right. We all love EA, don't we? <laughs> they'll, they'll put all that, that um, DLC and make it buy a season pass, and then the game still has a shitload of ads all over it as you're playing. So I'm like, who are you really kidding? You got all this ad revenue for the game by putting these fucking ads in the game, and you're still making me pay all this money for DLC and season passes. And as far as paying an extra five bucks for unlimited DLC, the reason why I say no is stuff like that is the reason why we pay $60 a game now because just about everybody in the chat is old enough to remember when $50 was the maximum price point for a game. And what happened was they made all these limited editions and, you know, buy this and you'll get this. And they used that as an experiment saying, wow, these people will spend this extra, these extra $10. Well, we talked about that last week, Let's too. Let's just make games $60. We talked about that last week, too, with the pilot program with the, D, with the, you know, with the DLC, where it's like, hey, let's put out the DLC for 10 bucks. Let's see how many buys we get. Let's try 20 Let's see how many buys we get. We, we talked about that, and, yeah, I understand that that's you know, kind of the pilot program, but I'll be honest. Let's, I'll, I'll use a great example. I'm going to use WWE 2K15 as a great example. You watch wrestling just as much as I do. Their rosters are constantly evolving. I'd rather pay 65 bucks for a game and have the game come out every two years and just have the rosters update and the gimmicks change or the movesets change versus rebuying the same shit every year with minimal enhancements. You get what I'm saying? That's a little bit different, though. For a game like that, I do agree with you. And WWE 2K is a perfect example as as an extremely violent offender because even if you do buy the season pass, the game itself basically bends you over and does you with no Vaseline. When you look at a quote-unquote complete roster and you have CM Punk and early CM Punk, and that's taking up two and slots. You wasted, you wasted two roster slots for that. I'm like, you could have put anybody else in there. You got two different Alberto Del Rios. Who the fuck cares about Alberto Del Rio? Nope, that's a great example. And it's funny because Mortis utilized the, uh, the, Street Fighter, the Street Fighter offense, which is true. Capcom knows, and we've talked about this before, Capcom knows exactly how to get us. And, and what they'll do is... They'll make the updates, but then they'll just release the game for cheap. But what happens is when you start taking stock of the cumulative amount of money you just spent, I mean, uh, you know, Street Fighter 4 is a great example. I bought the first version on disc. I bought the upgrade on disc. I mean, I sold one to buy the other, but still, that 60 just became 40, which means I already spent $100 on that franchise. So that I understand. But again, I'd rather sacrifice an extra year between games than get games every year, sequels every year, 
and have to deal with all the nickel and diming. Like, I'll be honest. Excuse me. I'm going to I'm going to put it like this. And and Danny, Danny's in the chat and my colleague, Danny, she she knows this all too well. Would you rather get Assassin's Creed every year or get a game every two years and just have a more complete experience? I'd rather have a game every two years of certain titles than have an annual an annual version because what happens is whatever bugs may or may not have been fixed in the prior game, they're going to swear they fixed in the next game, and the next game is going to be just as broken as the previous. And, and the reason I say this is because Assassin's Creed Unity, everybody says, yo, this is broken, that's broken. You know, yeah, you could cram more people into the street and the buildings look prettier, and that's all great, but the combat mechanics still haven't been moved to the same. A lot of people felt that the game regressed instead of progressed. And it's weird because for me, I've been playing the games all the way through. And I felt that, you know, Black Flag, there were certain things. I, I didn't like the story, but I felt that the gameplay just, um, the gameplay advanced. You know, the combat mechanics were tighter. The um, the gameplay was more fluid. You know, the, the addition of the, of the traveling with the boats and the whale hunting and the and the piracy and all that stuff, it really gave you a complete experience that really just brought things full circle. Now, it looks like we're going back to the old way of doing things where it's like, yeah, we're just going to do parkour through France and stab people in crowds. Don't get me wrong. I got no problem with that. I got no problem with, you know, running through a crowd of, of a thousand people on a next-gen game and stabbing a guy in the back while he's delivering a speech. I have zero issue with that. My issue remains that... You're not trying to do something unique. You're not trying to do something different. What? You think that because you change the color of the hood and you make the guy French and you give him a little bit of personality, that's enough? Oh, we're going to throw some multiplayer in there. That's great. But the stories themselves, the, the, the overall narrative doesn't progress. And therein lies the problem. Danny says it, you know, it's burning out the developers because it's too much pressure. Think about it. Do you, think about the mythology of a game like Assassin's Creed or the mythology of a game like Drake or the mythology of a game like Infamous. That's not a game that you should be cranking out every year because there's no time to expand on a universe that you're trying to establish. I mean, there's one thing, and, and you can agree with this, with, with Darksiders. You know, we have a soft spot for Darksiders and their devs. Am I wrong, Slick, but didn't they do the right thing in expanding the mythology slowly? And running concurrent, even if they, even if they made the game run concurrent to, um, you know, Darksiders one, it was still a a, a well woven story. And even if there were issues with the gameplay, which we talked about, you know, certain little certain little hiccups here and there, the story brought it full circle. Well, Ubisoft, at least the the branch that handles Assassin's Creed. They've gotten extremely lazy, and what I mean by that is they use what I want to call band-aids to cover up the the bugs. How so? Instead of instead of um, you know working on a brand new game that continues to develop the you know the scope of the Assassin's Creed franchise, because like you said, Black Flag introduced so many new elements that had never been in the game, and now you're just running around rooftops again. What'd they do? They made Unity so that you can run around with your friends and do it. 
wow, because I've never played a game online with my friends before. Meanwhile, Assassin's Creed is always, you know, basically been a one a one player game. Well, they did the one so with the multiplayer. Did nothing new and threw in the multiplayer. Well, they did the multiplayer and one with the Ezio series, and it didn't it didn't ruin the game. But it's not something that you should hop on. Like what I'm saying is, it's not something you're going to cash your chips on. Oh, look, multiplayer. That's great. It's like I've said before, you're doing a story based on the bloodline of one man, whether it's one man or not. I mean, you know, the Desmond Miles story without spoiling it, it just it just didn't go the way it should have. But I'll say this when you're talking about a war between two factions over the course of years, you mean to tell me that you can't do Assassin's Creed in World War Two? I mean, we're not making it call of duty, but Assassin's Creed in World War Two, um, Assassin's Creed in feudal Japan. Um, you know, Assassin's Creed in New York City during the Great Depression or modern Assassin's Creed, because according to what I've heard, they don't there's no there's no there's no modern anything in this Assassin's Creed. Like there's no outside world except you're playing the, you know, the game within the confines of, of Renaissance France. And this is what I'm saying, like you've created this wonderful mythology where there's so many different bloodlines and so many different stories that you can follow, yet you continue to, to, to put yourself in the confines of, you know, oh, rooftops, parkour, and, you know, the, the hidden blade. And, oh, we're going to make the hoods cooler so that people want to dress like us in the real world. You know, like, that's, that's great, and, and that's wonderful that you've gone to such great lengths to, to weave this game into pop culture. But you're you're shooting yourselves in the foot by not acknowledging that there's a bigger world out there. I mean, if there's one thing that Drake, you know, that Uncharted did was that it progressed the story forward with a tight narrative. But it also progressed the story forward in the sense that it al- they started allowing Drake to be able to do more things as you played the game. Yeah, but that's the other thing that I meant when I was talking about Band-Aid. Instead of progressing the story and doing what you said were like just taking a setting yep. and creating a story. No, they just insert their characters into established history. Like Assassin's Creed 3, you just threw your character into the Revolutionary War. Assassin's Creed 4, you know, maybe they did a little bit more creativity, but now you're just throwing characters into the French Revolution. I'm like, at least with the first game, yeah, you have it in, you know, like the the Middle East during the the um the Crusades, the time of like the, the yeah the Crusades and everything. That's a period. That's a period where a million different stories can be told. Right, and you told one. You actually told a story. Same thing with you know too in the SEO story. You know, it was during the the Renaissance period in in Europe and a little bit of Asia. I get, no, no, just Europe. Sorry. But, and you told a story. It's like now they're not telling stories. They're just rewriting what's already, already happened. Yeah, they're, what they're doing is they're... they're, they're it's laziness. It, that's true. I mean, they're opening up a history book and pointing their finger somewhere, and that's the story. I'm going to open up a history book, and I'm going to point at Christopher Columbus, and he's going to be an assassin. That's it. Christopher Columbus is an assassin. Or, or you're going to help Christopher Columbus. Or, you know, you're going to be... Like I said, at least if you did Assassin's Creed in World War Two, you could have a little bit of a, a, a fun with that because at least it's a different time period where you can play a little bit more outside of the scope. You know, and if you wanted to add multiplayer in there, you could. 
But again, you're you're taking a narrative and you're expanding on it. If you've played Assassin's Creed and you saw how Assassin's Creed 3 ended and you felt unfulfilled, I I, I feel your pain. Because I felt Assassin's Creed, I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. They're coming to America. You know, you got a Native American assassin. They've gone to all this trouble to work with the Native American community to establish this 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 beautiful mythology, this great story. And then the game ended and I just felt fucking empty, dude. Empty. I was like, yo, this is bullshit. And then I played Black Flag and Black Flag was awesome. And then it ended and I'm like, oh, so it was it was like what they the way Assassin's Creed went during those last couple of games was the same way that Fast and Furious went with its sequels. It's like, oh, so this one takes place before this one, but it's after this one. Is that what you're telling me? And it was like I said, it's just the the necessity to to crank them out every year. I mean, don't get me wrong. Call of Duty Advanced Warfare is basically Titanfall and Halo mixed together with soldiers and Kevin Spacey. And that's great. And you know what it is? I can't even be mad at that because we know that every year we're getting that. But there's no necessity to make Assassin's Creed an annual series. None. None whatsoever. Don't need to make Call of Duty an annual series. Yeah, but you know what it is, dude? Call of Duty, here's here's the funny thing. Call of Duty is not about the fucking single player. You know that. Call of Duty is about the dudes jumping in on multiplayer, killing each other, and eventually some competing on a, on a pro level and making some money. That's all that is. And even Halo. Halo's narrative got a little crazy too, but... It's not like we're getting a Halo every year either. You know what I mean? Like they're like, "Oh, here's the here's here's a remastered version of the first 3 games. Enjoy yourselves, guys. Eventually you'll get 5. Good luck." You know? And this is why um I like what Danny had said. She was like she was trying to decide what console to buy between a PS4 and a Wii U, and she was leaning towards the Wii U because it's getting, it is getting ridiculous with a lot of these games that, you know, these, these so-called AAA titles, when it's like the simple companies are doing what Nintendo has always said they, they want to do, which is making great games. Like, we're talking about all the shortfalls of, of the stories in these, again, quote-unquote AAA titles. I'm looking at this game that's supposed to be coming out, I think, early next year called Never Alone, which is based on Inuit Eskimo folklore. Okay. Like, stories where their people haven't even had a written language for 100 years, so 99% of the world has no idea what the fuck is going on in this game. So that's a story that, you know, you would actually want to experience. Right. Because it's not something that, oh... You threw a character into this. I've seen this a million times before. No, you haven't. Because unless you happen to meet one of those people, you have no idea what the fuck this story is about. Right. Well, here's here's one thing, and 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 this will this will close this up so we can go through the rest of it. The way the way I see this is, if you crank out these games on an annual basis, the independent developer or the smaller studio that's working on something. Is just not even going to put as in uh, energy into their game the way they would if they had a wide open release window. It's the same thing when a blockbuster movie is complaining about every you know a, a blockbuster movie hits along with you know an indie darling film. Here's here's a good example. Uh, I'm a developer. You're a developer. Mortis is a developer. 
Danny's a developer. We're all working on four games. Each of our games is going to come out during the holiday season. Mortis and Danny's game, their engine ends up being absorbed into the next Call of Duty. They'll still be part of it, but their engine is going to be absorbed into that game. Meanwhile, you are going to make a game where you have to navigate a little boy through a forest who's being hunted by wolves and your your whole jo- your whole job is to get through the forest and not get eaten and it looks original it looks captivating and it looks great but when they tell you hey slick you're going to put that game out November 18th and November 22nd Call of Duty comes out how are you going to feel you're going to say as hey, good I'll as my like- game as yeah, good I'll as my game is, no, no, no. But but think about it. You'll be happy to get your game out, but the amount of eyes that may see it may be substantially less because everybody's enamored with the next Call of Duty. You understand what I'm saying? By cranking these games out every year, you're not allowing uh, developers and companies to get creative, to try new things, to go a little crazy, to give us something unique. Instead, what you're doing is you're placating the masses and giving them old hat. And then when they see through the smoke and mirrors and get pissed off about it, they say, yeah, but this is what you wanted. You get what I'm saying? Basically. Just think about it. What developer is going to want to... you mentioned with um, not, not supporting these, these stores that open on Thanksgiving. Right. It's people's wallets that, that say you want another Call of Duty. Right. And you know what it is? I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to advocate a revolution where people don't support these games. If you're a fan of the series and you feel fulfilled every year playing the same game, and to you, it's, it gives you the same amount of, of wonderment and, and amazement, you know, uh, an amazing feeling and a, a wonderful feeling, then by all means, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. But if you're, if you're in the camp that most of us are in that want to see unique, interesting, and engaging games, I mean, look at Little, Little Big Planet is a great example. Who would have thought in a million years that Little Big Planet would be as fun, enjoyable, and as therapeutic as it is? No one in a million years. But they took a shot on it, and before you know it, everybody became a fan. And it wasn't it wasn't anything um you know, it wasn't anything that anybody's ever seen before. The characters were different, the approach was different, the music was different, the love of the community and the creators was there. You know, they genuinely put their heart and soul into this game. I, I'm I'm honest when I say that if you're creating the next Call of Duty or you're creating, you know, the next the next Madden, you're not going to give a hundred and one percent because you know that it's going to sell re- in record breaking numbers. So you can kind of phone it in. It's terrible to say, but I, ju- I just feel that there's not as much passion to create the next Call of Duty or the next Madden versus the guy that created Little Big Planet, or the guy that you know created Katamari, or the or the you know the person that or you know the person that created Mario, you know what I mean? Like there's like the 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 passion in all those individuals, like like Miyamoto's passion when that guy goes out there and he talks about this universe and these characters that he that he's established. It's it's amazing because you see it. I mean Hideo Kojima, even though everybody's like, yo, these Metal Gear games get weirder and and weirder. You know what? They're his vision. They're they're different. If they're you wanna, unique. You want to know the amount of passion that is in the average developer for Call of Duty? All you have to do is look to last year when they when last year's version of Call of Duty came out. They're like, yo, look at these fish. 
Look at these dogs. I'm like, yeah. I know, I know that, you know, I, I listen and can't see my face right now, but it's like, you can imagine. I'm just like, I have to really face on. It's like, really? But that's what it was. Their selling Look point last fish. year were dogs, fish, and female soldiers. That was it. Like, it has nothing to do with the overall game. I mean, female soldiers do, but it's like dogs and fish. That's your passion. Yep. And that's what happened. a game where you're running out and shooting people and calling in airstrikes. Dogs and fish. There you go. So I fi- I figured that would be a great Drop way. The mic, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. I figured um I figured that'd be a great way to bring things full circle. Now I kind of wanted to switch gears a bit because we all know um we all know Blizzard and we all know that when we talk about Blizzard, the first thing that comes to mind is World of Warcraft, Starcraft, or Diablo. I think Blizzard is going to be swimming in a lot of money with when the new World of Warcraft comes out and um. At, Bl- at BlizzCon, they actually announced that they're going to try a brand new sort of a game, and it's something that I'm sure I'm sure people are going to watch with much interest because they're going to go with a first-person shooter called Overwatch. It's going to be a brand new Blizzard game universe, and it's going to be a first-person shooter. Now, considering Blizzard's track record, I'm not even going to say this is good or bad. I just feel that I think a comp- the company realizes that people embrace first-person shooters way too easily. So they figure, fuck it, if anybody else can do it, why can't we? Do you agree? Yep, and I, the reason why I agree, Grand Theft Auto V. Look, first-person like, okay. It's insane to me. I mean, I'm sure it'll be something a little bit different from your average first-person shooter, but it'll still be a first-person shooter. Well, I you know it's funny. Danny writes, "I love how playing as a different gender is a big deal these games, a, a big deal these days." So you know it's funny that she threw that in there when we wrapped up. But um, here's here's the thing with this with with regards to what Blizzard is doing. Blizzard has figured out that the only way to keep up with the Joneses is by thinking on their level. That's not to say that we're not going to get another World of Warcraft or Starcraft or another Diablo. But they also realize that they got to diversify just a smidge to grab another market. You know that you're going to have your Diablo players. You know you're going to have your StarCraft. Hell, you know you're going to have your StarCraft and World of Warcraft players. But I think that they realize that they got to get another piece of the pie. I mean, they got that World of Warcraft movie coming out as well, which I'll get into into the entertainment segment. But they know that there's open territory out there for them to make money. And I think that they're that them jumping... <laughs> A smart move, right? I think it's a smart move because you really think about it. Before you had things like Call of Duty and Battlefield, you had games like Doom and Unreal, which were more along the lines of a first-person shooter in the vein of like a World of Warcraft. You had insane action with you know just rampaging monsters and giant mutants and robots and shit, and that's more along the lines of what Blizzard is used to doing. Right. So they can create a world that will recapture that kind of, you know, love from the fans and I think it will make money. I think that once you once you look at the at the name Blizzard on on the box of a title, you have a certain level, you have a certain level of expectation that that you know is going to be met by this company. So, uh, like I said, it, it's something that it was an interesting announcement and I wanted to share it with the listeners, because I know a lot of guys that are hardcore world, of, hardcore world of Warcraft or Starcraft players or Diablo players. So there's definitely 
a, a market for that. I just it was weird that they would announce that at BlizzCon and just it would go under the radar in such a way that that more people weren't talking about it. You know? Yeah, yeah, man. So I'm gonna post the um, link to the, the the trailer for the the Overwatch game. Oh, definitely, chat. awesome. So Sony, of course, trying to make some big news. They they were in the news a bit this week. Um, first, they actually announced the launch of their internet-based television service, PlayStation View, which is going to be coming to PlayStation consoles and other devices later this year. Now, their goal is to reinvent the uh, the TV model by using your PlayStation 3 or other console as your hub, in effect, throwing a salvo at cable. Now, in the case of PlayStation View, it's going to launch with a package of around 75 channels per market. This is going to include local broadcast channels, cable channels, including those from, you know, Fox, NBC Universal, Viacom, plus on-demand content as well. Now, according to what they have, and I just want to make sure I put this out right, um, on-demand content will be part of the service with the previous three days of popular programming available at all times, plus the ability for viewers to save episodes of their favorite shows to the cloud and retain access for up to 28 days. Now, what channels can you expect? So they put out a small list. You're going to get CBS at launch, including all the CBS-owned and operated TV stations. You're also going to get um, on-demand primetime programming for CBS. You're going to get the Oprah Winfrey Network. I have no idea why people are going to want that on consoles, but that's that's a separate story. Uh, well, I'd be surprised how many people go crazy for that network. Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> um, Discovery Channel, Discovery Channel HD, um, TLC, Animal Planet, Investigation Discovery, Discovery Science, um, Discovery Family Channel, and 11 other brands. For Fox, of course, you're going to have all their channels, including FX, FXX, FXM, the National Geographic Network, National Geographic Wild, um, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, all the regional sports networks, the Yes Network for all the sports fans, and the Prime Ticket as well. On the NBC side, of course, you're going to get NBC, CNBC, Bravo, E, Oxygen, Sprout, the Sci-Fi Channel, USA Network, which, of course, is going to be great for those of us that watch wrestling. Um, Telemundo, if you want to get your novelas on. Um, on the script side of things, you're going to get the Food Network, HGTV, Travel Channel, the DIY Network, and the Cooking Channel. Nothing, nothing like turning on your PS3 or your PS4 to watch a little Alton Brown to make you want to go in the kitchen and make a sandwich. Um, Viacom-wise, you're getting BET, CMT, Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, Palladia, Spike, VH1, and others. Um, one, one network's channels that are missing are Disney's, which, of course, owns ABC, ESPN, and Time Warner. So, I mean, um, correction. Uh, Disney, which owns ABC and ESPN, and then Time Warner, who, of course, has Cartoon Network, uh, CNN, TNT, TBS, and all the other channels, and, of course, HBO. Um, Sony did say that they are in active discussions with these partners, but I'm sure that people are going to look at that with a raised eyebrow because everybody wants their HBO. You know, uh, when HBO Go was announced as being a standalone service outside of cable, people that I knew across the country collectively shit themselves because they said, now nah, I can cut off cable. So I didn't know, I didn't know people's loyalty to HBO was that deep, but to launch a service without HBO 
or you know the the Disney Channel or ABC or any of the the Cartoon Network or any of those other channels is definitely going to be very very interesting. Um, my thing is, people think that they're going to be able to turn off cable, and I'm sure some people will. I mean, obviously, people already have, but with a service like this, people are going to finally understand why cable TV costs what it costs. They don't. They don't seem to understand that for every channel they get in their so-called package, that that company is paying for each and every one of them individually. Right. Once they start having to pay for all these channels, they're gonna be like, "Oh shit, this really isn't cheap." Well, here's the thing too. Sony. Gave... I, I really want to see this, how this pricing is gonna work out. Yep, because they didn't give it. Like you know, you get like you get like CBS, you get a certain number of channels, you get Fox, you get a certain number of channels. But it's it's gonna wind up being you know it's it, the pricing is gonna wind up being roughly the same once people put all their you know put the packages together to get all the channels they want. I'll be honest. We'll I'll, be, I'll be honest when I tell you if I could change if I could go into my cable provider and say, listen, I just want broadcast channels, Spike TV, FX, Fox Sports, AMC, all the HB, all the movie channels all the Food Network shit and nothing else, dude, I'd be incredibly happy. Even if even if my bill only went down 100 bucks or whatever it is, I'd take it because at least I don't have to fucking mindlessly deal with shit I don't need. Like, I don't need is, 60... probably wouldn't go down $100. You know? I'm just using that as, a, as an example, you know? probably wind up being the same. Again, I mean, if it, if it were the same and I had the freedom of choice... So be it. But I do have a feeling that if it were a question where you'd cut off out of 800 channels and you only needed 100, I still feel that there would be some savings versus, you know, having 800 channels. Unless I'm wrong. I, I mean, saying, but, you know, just from where, you know, from where, you know, I come from. Right. I'm telling you, odds are it wouldn't, it wouldn't be worth it because you still you'd be paying more individually than you pay collectively for all the channels you don't watch. Well, I think that it's also going to be a question where more and more, it's going to be a thing where more and more independent operators are going to just find ways to offer their programming outside of the quote-unquote conventional model. I mean, for as much as as much shit as people give Vince McMahon, the WWE Network, even though it's not yet at the subscriber market should be, it definitely has opened people's eyes to the fact that you can exist outside of the confines of a cable provider. I mean, if HBO really decide, you know, goes forward with pulling the trigger on an independent standalone HBO Go service that'll cost you 10 or 15 bucks a month, I know people that only get HBO and have rabbit ears for everything else. Like they'll they'll turn on HBO for a season of Game of Thrones, then they'll cut that shit off after the season's over crazy but it's true yeah i know but it's like you say that it's like yeah wwe network is cheap at ten dollars a month hbo would be cheap at ten dollars a month but if every company is charging ten dollars a month oh yeah it'll add up very fast you get all the channels you want it's gonna add up real quick i mean honestly if hbo see the funny thing is like like hbo and cinemax in essence, if they were if they were one service, and you paid ten bucks a month, that's fine because the bulk of the movies show up there first. It's when people start getting crazy with all the 
the expectations of all these other channels. It's like, listen, I really, really doubt you're going to want to pay money for the Food Network. I love the Food Network. I watch a ton of their programming. Guy Fieri's not worth $10 a month. Fuck him. <laughs> you know, these these are the facts. Um, you know, AMC or, or FX, you know, they got great programming. But you got to ask yourself, is it programming that's worth $10 a month? You know, yeah. Oh, you I watched The Walking Dead. Yeah, you watched The Walking Dead from whatever, October through January. Are you going to watch that channel the rest of the year? Maybe, maybe not. But get, this is what I'm saying. When these, when people complain about having all these channels they don't watch, they're not actually paying individually to these networks. The right. cable company is. And if you could buy all your channels independently, there's so many channels that a lot of the masses wouldn't pay for because they don't watch or they don't watch it all the time. And guess what that's going to do? That's going to drive up the price because these companies are going to have to charge a certain amount just to stay in business. And it's not going to... That's that's the reason why nobody offers a model where you can just literally, quote-unquote, get what you want because it would cost a lot more. I think that the confines of the model itself that that you're bringing up, I think it's not so much a, a matter of giving people the choice of creating a package... I more so think that it's just a matter of changing the approach. In other words, like let let's use let's use Time Warner Cable as a great example. I had Time Warner Cable, you did at one point. It's like you got your basic tier, your mid-level tier, your premium tier, and your holy shit, I got so many channels, I don't know what to do with tier. And then of course you got the extra shit you pay for, you know, the Playboy channel and all the other ancillary shit that you don't need. If they said to you, on your basic channel, on your basic tier, you have a choice of 50 channels. It's like this. This is what the plan is going to cost you. You have a window of 50 channels. I think that by giving people the price up front and then just letting them choose what goes in there, the price is going to be the price regardless. You get what I'm saying? Like, you know. I get what you're saying, but it wouldn't work. How so? If you're already giving people the, if you're already applying what it's going to be, then it's just a matter of picking the channels. Because you take that, let's say 10 people get that package, and 10 people get totally different channels, but only one of those people gets, let's say, CBS. That means they get that all of a sudden that, you know, you got to charge that much more for CBS because nobody's buying it, and you still got to pay CBS to provide it. Well, you can answer me this just based on your background. Are, are are cable providers currently paying for broadcast channels that you're st- that you can still get via yes. standard antenna? They are. Yes. So like CBS, NBC, to be able to provide them every channel that is in your cable lineup, your cable provider pays that you know the company that owns that channel for that channel and any other channels that they own, each and every one of them. Gotcha. That's why you have 8 million channels you don't fucking watch. <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A crash course in, 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 the, in the back end of cable, courtesy of Slick. I mean, looking, looking at the big picture, without digging too deep, I'm curious because Sony and Microsoft are trying their hardest to create this alternative programming network, which, again, it may, ha- it may be successful, but I think their successes are going to rest on the fact 
that they're going to need um, more engaging programming in the sense of the, in the in reference to the Sony network. You know, they're trying to do powers. They're trying to do some stuff. Microsoft is trying to do the Halo series and they're trying to do things of that nature. I just feel that too many of them are trying to create the next Netflix and, and it, it's not going to work. Word, which actually kind of explains why these things are not going to take off the way they want it to. Because let's think about it. Let's think about what Netflix did recently right. with a company that you and I are familiar with by the name of Verizon Files. Right. They Netflix made it so that even though Files has the fastest available internet in the country, you were getting shitty service from Netflix. Why? Because Verizon was offering this thing called Redbox. Yep, which they killed which now. Which is a competitor for Netflix. Guess what Verizon's doing now? They're offering Netflix. Offering discounts on Netflix. Yep. And you know what the funny which thing is? contrary is? to something they own, because Verizon <laughs> owns Redbox. Right. You know what the you know what that is? That's the adage of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They realized. Listen, and we that's can't. That's the thing. If if the PlayStation View starts cutting into, let's say PlayStation View starts cutting into Verizon's, you know, piece of the pie. That's what Verizon's gonna do. They're gonna throttle They're that gonna bandwidth. Start throttling the internet for the people who have PS4s or that's PS3s. Right. That's right. Yeah, that is true. I mean, at the end of, at the end of the day, it's always gonna be about the money, and that's something that. Is gonna. Here's the thing. PlayStation made it seem like their 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 streaming game service was gonna be the game changer that it was. After the pricing for that came out, nobody's chomping at the bit to play with that. I think I know maybe one or two people that have tried it. The way I see Nobody it, who talks about it right now. Th- th- there you go. The way I see it is like this: If you're gonna jump into this new arena, you have to respect the players that are there. See, Vince McMahon is a, is is a guy that you know he's worth a fuckload of money. He could tell the cable companies to go fuck themselves because the the network is an experiment. He also knows that if the experiment fails, he's got to go crawling back to the cable companies. You Not know, really. huh? Because guess what? The fans still want the shit. No, no, no. The fans do, but what I'm saying is that by launching the network and making it so that they're competing in essence against themselves on pay-per-view, they realize that, listen, you know, we don't need pay-per-view. So we'd rather just make the money ourselves. And in essence, you know, a lot of pay-per-view providers are saying, yo, fuck you guys. We're just not showing the pay-per-views then. And the thing is that this is the network has become something that has become too big to fail. You know, you got, you, you got almost 800,000 subscribers. You can't pull the plug now. Now you got to pull the trigger, you know? And that's that's the perfect example of, you know, what I was talking about before, how, you know, if you don't have enough people paying, you got to raise the prices. What happened, like, a couple of months after WWE Network debuted? There was the the rumor that the price was going to go up. Absolutely. But you know what they did? They started putting advertising, which, again, not terrible because the advertising isn't in the middle of the program. You get an ad at the beginning, maybe you get an ad at the end. And if there's a break between matches, maybe you get an ad there. But it's not terrible. You know what I mean? It's not distracting to the programming because it's it's a it's a pastime that has to be broken up a bit. I just want to see what's going to happen in the second year of the network because there's that looming, I don't want to call it a threat, but that looming uneasiness because when the network came out, there was that 
that um, sales pitch that for nine ninety nine a month you get all the the pay per views and 2014's WrestleMania. They like mentioned specifically that you were getting this year's WrestleMania. Right. What happens next year? I have a feeling that what's going to happen is they're going to give people a different tier, which means maybe that if you're not grandfathered in, maybe you're going to pay twelve ninety nine a month to get everything, and maybe you're going to pay nine ninety nine a month to get only the big four. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Which I, dude, still not bad. Even if you get the no, big it's not four, bad. I'm just saying it's, it, it would kind of suck if the model had to change. Right. I would understand it because I do want WWE to succeed. I want it to get better, which you know that's a whole other story. Right. But it's like you know you gotta pay for shit. Yeah, I, I, we're gonna be watching this PlayStation View story very carefully because it's something that you know they really went out of their way to get it out there and create a buzz with it. So I want to see, first of all, we the, the, we want to see the big one, which is pricing. Then after that, we want to see what companies decide to get into bed with Sony and how Microsoft is going to counter. Now, I wanted to, um, I wanted to change gears a little bit because I wanted to talk about uh, the MPD numbers, and I also wanted to talk about Microsoft. So, and then, you know, we can wrap things up on the gaming side. So Xbox One, between its lower prices and its new software has gained uh, significant sales traction within the last two weeks. Sales have more than tripled ever since the system dropped to 349. Of course, you know, it's not, it still hasn't eclipsed the PS4, but it's still moving ahead in terms of good, you know, good growth. Now, for for this to be such a huge news story, it, it boggles my mind a little bit because it's like, you drop the price, shit sells. How revolutionary is that? You know what I mean? Like, like, like it's like, oh look, we're we're selling a lot of systems. Of course you are. Like no shit. It's fucking cheaper. Of course it is. But there is the combination of of stuff that they came out with. You know, like like your your advanced warfare bundle and giving people the one terabyte drive. You're you know you got a couple of decent titles that are getting some traction. Sunset Overdrive, the Master Chief Collection. It's not like you're not putting out the the, the bundles that are with that are with the games that are going to move units which is crazy you know that people are buying uh you know sunset overdrive bundles i mean it's partially because they want a white p uh white xbox one but regardless of that they are getting the traction they need to get because the pricing is attractive it's that simple you know for for 2.99 that you buy a wii u bundle for an extra 50 bucks you get an xbox one that has you know Blu-ray capability and next-gen capability and and cable and cable shit. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the thing that gets me. Like this is such a big shocker to everybody, but it's it's obvious that it was gonna happen. If Nintendo turned around and said we're gonna make the Wii U one ninety nine, it would probably crush everybody at that point. Yeah, but I think Nintendo was realizing what you know, even though the, the console came out the gate at the the lowest price point. They, they kind of would be shooting themselves with a the foot right now. Like, Microsoft is, is kind of hurting right now, even though they're, they're making sales. They got to make a lot more sales to make up for things. Cause right. The, the console isn't a year old yet, and it's already $150 less than when it started. Right. Business-wise, that's fucking awful. 
Well, they also had to they, they also cut out the requirement that you needed to connect. So remember, that was a factor too. Doesn't change that their price point is, is almost dropped by, you know, like twenty percent. Right. But what I'm saying is when you're when you're in a in a neck and neck battle and the, and we've talked about this on prior shows it's no longer a question of which console is better it's a it's a question of which console has the better shit in other words you're comparing two consoles that graphically are going to deliver amazing visuals great but at that point once you strip that away it's a matter of who has the games that i want and most of it has been yep. games that both consoles have there hasn't been too many games that have leapt you know, had allowed one console to leap over the other until recently. You know, Microsoft has the always reliable Halo, Sunset Overdrive, Killer Instinct. You know what I mean? Like, they're starting to create those titles that are starting to set them apart. Sony's doing the same thing, you know, with Infamous and, and other titles. You know, it's one of those things where they're, they're starting to carve out their niches because they know that nobody's going to buy a system based on which version has Madden. These are the facts, dude. You know that. Nobody's going to go, oh, I, I want to buy the Xbox One because it has Madden. Nope. It's a matter of, at that point, which system do you prefer and which experience do you like? Other than that, it's, uh, and, and you know, obviously people are going are gonna to debate me and say, dude, there's more differences than that. But I'm just breaking it down to brass tacks. You know, both games have Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Both games have NBA 2K. Both systems have... Um, whatchamacallit, both systems have Call of Duty, both systems have Assassin's Creed, you get what I'm saying, like, like, there's a lot of both systems have, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that sentence going on, you know, Destiny, both systems got it, FIFA, both systems got it, Shadow of Mordor, both systems got it, shall I continue, you get what I'm saying? So for people to think that it's this big revolutionary news breaking story that Microsoft is selling more consoles, it's like, of course they are stupid. They're 50. They lowered the price of their console and they're selling bundles, some with games that nobody's got. Like what? when I bought my Xbox One, came with Titanfall for free. I didn't give a shit whether it did or it didn't, but it was I, it was a price. It was a, a price drop on the console and it came bundled with the game. You know, Danny was talking about the, the the system that comes with Sunset Overdrive. It's a good game. It comes with it with, with a decently priced system. Why wouldn't you buy it at that point? This is the shit that gets I me. Don't buy there you go. But this takes me into the next thing, and you know we're gonna we're gonna start bringing it home. It's the MPD numbers for the month of October. So if I told you, Slick, what was the number one selling game for the month of October? What would you tell me? Call of Duty Survive Month? No, it didn't. No. Um, 2K15? Very good. 2K15 is the number one selling game. NBA 2K15? That's correct. PS4, Xbox One, 360, PS3, and PC. Number one selling game. Gee, you think? But here's the kicker. The number two game that sold the most for the month of October was Super Smash Brothers on the 3DS. Not surprising. Not surprising, but think about that. NBA 2K15 is the number one selling game with a with a distribution rate of five platforms. On the flip side, Smash Brothers is only on one. Not even a, a console, a handheld. There you go. So, so again, this puts things in perspective of, again, 
It's all about the games. Number three was The Evil no, Within. No. Number three was The Evil Within with distribution across five platforms. Uh, Borderlands, the pre-sequel, came in at number four, released on PC, PS3, and 360. Uh, Destiny was number five, 360, Xbox One, PS4, and PS3. Skylanders Trap Team was number six. FIFA 15 was number seven. Madden NFL 15 was number eight. Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor was number nine. And Minecraft on the 360, PS3, and PS4 was number 10. Wow, so the game that is only available for a handheld hit the shit out of pretty much... Yep. At least six other games that were available for five different platforms. There you have it, folks. Just just putting that out there. Just let that sink in. The other thing is, Sunset Overdrive is is not on the list, but the Xbox One exclusive did launch late in October, so it's probably going to be in the in the November MPD numbers. I have a feeling that we'll be on the late end of it, though. Yep. But I just I just want you to think about that. Think about the numbers that are there. And, and and the fact that they were they were all unseated by one game on a handheld. I can't wait to see what the console version does. Although I have a feeling it will not do as well, it probably will do well. Well, here's the funny thing: Nintendo said that they sold over 485 thousand copies of Super Smash Brothers in North America in October, and have sold 1.2 million copies across digital and retail channels to date. The company also said that Wii U oh, hardware. They also said that um, the Wii U has seen a 47 percent jump in the first 10 months of 2014 compared to the same period in 2013. So, just to put that in perspective. And, and, you know, we've been talking about this as we put together our gift guide. Nintendo is not playing around, folks. Not playing around. That's why I was asking what version are those sales for, because my tablet was lit up yesterday, and when I turned it on, they were offering me the ability to purchase the Wii U version of um, Super Smash Brothers, you know, digitally. Right. So, I mean, are they counting... Uh, like pre-order sales of that game because, like, if you buy bought it, for example, if I bought it through the tablet, I would have been paying for it outright, not like paying ten bucks to pre-order it. Well, the numbers that Nintendo uh, uh, um, released with regards to Super Smash Brothers for the 3DS were just complete sales. The 1.2 million accounts for both digital and retail. Okay, so that's just the 3DS version. That is just again. Just the 3DS version. Okay. So think about that. That's 485,000 copies just for the 3DS. Meanwhile, on digital and retail, 1.2 million to date. And that's crazy that they're, it's, it's been out for so long, but now they're really starting to stress um, digital distribution. Right. Because it's been available since. Before the 3DS, I think it's been available since the DSi. Well, I got, I got and one. Now they just, they just now. The... No, what I was gonna say is there's a there's a note next to the MPD list that I'm looking at, and it says October 2014 top 10 games, new physical retail only. So with that alone, Super Smash Brothers physical copies outsold next gen titles, uh, pretty much obliterating them to take the number two slot. I'm shocked that Alien Isolation wasn't even on there. Nope. 
Just so. Just, Neither was um, WWE 2K16. True, but that um, yeah, you're right. I I I mean, I don't want to say I don't want to say that you know the 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 delay for next gen affected that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, I think more people want to get that game on next gen consoles than I would say people want to get like Grand Theft Auto Five on next gen consoles. Yeah, there you have it. But I, you know, I wanted to wrap up with this because I wanted to, I wanted to emphasize exactly what what I've been saying with regards to what Nintendo's been doing. I think they finally opened their eyes and they figured out that listen, we got to crank out good flagship titles in order to make a dent in this console war. They realized that Microsoft is not in a position of strength this time around. They're actually in a position of weakness, and the only way that they can climb into at least a serviceable number two slot is if they bombard us with good five-star and four-star titles that are titles that people want to play. I think their strategy is very sound for the holiday because yep. the fact that Smash Brothers will hit the Wii U a week before Black Friday and then during Christmas shopping, you have Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker those are two games that are going to seriously help console sales. Absolutely, because I want to play Captain's to- Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker, and I and and I said to myself, I would never in a million years be uh, want to play a game with Toad as the main character. Boy, was I wrong! <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that you know another game that wasn't in NPD numbers because probably just because there aren't enough to use out, but people you know have been pissed and. We'll remedy the situation if there's a Black Friday deal that Bayonetta is only available on Wii U. Yep. So that's two first party game, two um, first party titles, and you know, uh, you know, uh, console specific developer putting out a popular title. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting Black Friday, and I personally cannot wait to um, to break down the November numbers. Uh, with some of the shows we do in December. Uh, just to, in closing, I did want to tell everybody, like I said, scout your Black Friday ads. There's really a lot of solid pickups. Um, a lot of people have been reaching out to me, pinging me on social media about Walmart's deals, which um, I haven't checked out yet, so I'm probably going to check them out after the show, and I've been hearing good things. Um, just to wrap up the gaming yeah, segment, is there anything? 325 for the Xbox One. Three ninety nine for the PS4, but with two games. Yep. And apparently there might be. Damn, I don't know like you're not playing. A, like another a regional ad. Uh, things like four fifty nine for a P, uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto Five bundled PS4. Like wow. the box is a Grand Theft Auto Five box, but also a choice of two games with the console. That's insane. See, everybody, uh, I, I hadn't had a chance to look at it, but now I can see why so many people are going crazy. I know a couple of people, and I, I think even uh, Quark is in that list that reached out like, yo, I'm going to have to pull a trigger on this Xbox One with the deals that they're working on. Because, dude, even 325 is still solid. Yeah, and the other thing is, I didn't really look at it carefully enough, but I think if you're getting it, like, if you happen to be one of the people trampling a poor Haitian employee to death, um you would also get like a gift card with it. Yeah, it's with a, either console. It that that alone I think is gonna make Walmart probably one of the bigger 
one of the bigger targets, in addition to the fact that they announced that they are price matching Amazon going forward. Well, what's the name, at least as far as the PS4, Best Buy has a similar deal where you get the console and get the um, like the choice of two games. I'm kind of curious as to why the PS4 is not dropping the price. Well, that has to do with the retailer, not the the developers. Right. Unless, of course, you know Sony makes a makes a play and they say, "Listen, we're going to drop it for the holidays." But I, you know, I it, I think that's going to be dependent on if. Xbox starts to make some waves that kind of that kind of get uh, Sony nervous. That's how I see it. I don't think that, that Sony would have to be nervous for a while because even if console-wise the Xbox One did outsell the PS4, they still have a huge install base. Right. And Xbox has released a lot of basically a lot of the eggs in their basket are coming out this year. The big eggs for Sony are not come, haven't even come out yet. Fair enough. Well, there you have it, folks. It looks like like Black like Black Friday is shaping up to be a very very interesting week uh, from a console standpoint. I know a couple of of retailers are even pulling the trigger on sales before Black Friday. Some going as far as starting their sales this coming Sunday, all the way through the following week. So again, if there's anything that's on the radar for you guys that you're interested in checking out, we will definitely do our best to share it with you guys. But we are working on our um, 2014 uh, holiday gift guide for the gamers, and that should be published by this weekend. And there's gonna have they're going to have a lot of great pickups. Uh, Slick has some great pickups on there, as well as myself, Quark, uh, Blade and the rest of the MTR team, so definitely be on the lookout for that. Hopefully this weekend. Anything else you want to add, Slick? No, I'm good, man. All right, buddy. I appreciate the assist. Thanks a lot. All right, peace. Peace. So there you have it, guys. If you want to follow Slick on social media, you can find him on Twitter at MTR Slick. You can also interact with him on our Facebook fan page as well, Facebook.com forward slash um, RageWorksNet. Uh, actually, no. For for Facebook, we actually got a, a new URL. I think that they finally approved us for official RageWorks. So it's Facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks because somebody is actually sitting on RageWorks by itself. Bastards. Anyway, <laughs> that's going to uh, wrap up the gaming for this week. Let's get into some entertainment news, shall we? Alright, so I want to get the ball rolling with a very interesting news story that came out um, a little later in the week after we did our shows, um, and that is the announcement of Toy Story 4 hitting theaters June 16th, 2017. Uh, The crazy thing is that um, John Lasseter will be coming back to be involved with the project. Now, the funny thing is a lot of people are automatically just going, ugh, another Toy Story But you also have to remember that things have changed quite a bit from the last Toy Story to this current one in that now Disney owns the license for both Marvel and Star Wars. So now there is a possibility that we may see alongside 
Barbie and Woody and Buzz Lightyear and the rest of the Toy Story cast, we may see maybe some Marvel characters or some Star Wars characters. So, you know, before before you automatically sweep the story under the rug, you got to take into consideration that the landscape for Disney has changed with regards to licensing. So I'm curious to see what they plan on doing with Toy Story, because, again, you know, Toy Story's one, two, and three, each one got progressively better than the other. So I'm curious to see if they're going to take full advantage of those other licenses to give us a, a, a brand new and equally as good Toy Story experience. Again, the, the release date for that right now is scheduled for June 16th, 2017. Now, while we're on the subject of Disney and Marvel, I did want to talk about an interesting news item put out by Deadline that Marvel actually issued a request to the U.S. District, uh, um, the North District of California to subpoena Google with regards to the leak of the Age of Ultron trailer. Now, of course, many of you that follow Marvel on social media know that they blamed Hydra for the alleged leak of the trailer, but by seeing them go after Google with a subpoena, it clearly indicates that Marvel had no intention of this trailer leaking the way it did. Of course, Age of Ultron hits theaters May 1st, 2015. And while the record-breaking numbers for the trailer were something that Marvel was very happy with, I'm sure that ABC was upset with the fact that they couldn't leverage the debut of that trailer to get increased viewership on their network, both for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and just for any other programs that people may have stuck around to watch. So, Definitely, it's definitely an interesting time for Marvel because they are aggressively trying to find out who leaked that trailer. I would not want to be that guy, that's for sure. On, a, on, the, on the flip side, I want to talk a little bit about Marvel's small screen developments. Of course, we know that Agent Carter will be hitting screens in January. It will be an eight-part uh, miniseries that's going to be happening, of course, during the break with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, interesting Casting update is uh, um, an individual named Costa Ronan, who many of you may know from the Americans. He actually was announced as joining the cast to play Anton Vaco. Now, if you if you don't know, Anton Vanko was the father of Mickey Rourke's character in Iron Man 2. Now, this is interesting, obviously, because if you remember in Iron Man 2, they referenced the partnerships between Howard Stark and... And Anton Vanko, which, of course, led to um, Anton Vanko going to jail, later on dying. And, of course, his son trying to exact revenge on Tony Stark in Iron Man 2. I definitely feel Agent Carter is is starting to step up with regards to just the stories and where they plan to go with the character and just the mythology overall. Again, it's going to be an eight-part miniseries, and it's going to hit small screens January 6th, 2015. Now... As I mentioned during our gaming segment at the BlizzCon event, there was an announcement for the World of Warcraft film, which is going to be hitting theaters March 11th, 2016. Now, um, of course, you're going to be able to follow both the adventures of the Horde and the Alliance on the big screen. And a lot of fans were very, very excited about the concept. Um, there has been some casting announcements that have been made, including... Uh, Toby Kebble, Travis Fimmel, Dominic Cooper is joining the cast, Rob Kaczynski, Ben Foster, uh, Clancy Brown, Ruth Nega, Paula Patton, and a host of other actors and actresses that have yet to be announced are jumping on board what is expected to be the next big epic 
post Lord of the Rings. Again, me being a gamer and knowing the track record of games based uh, films based on video games, I'm going to watch this with much interest. Again, the Warcraft film will be hitting theaters March 11th, 2016. Now, on the flip side, I want to talk a little bit about some sequel news that have come out, including a sequel, get this, to The Mechanic. Now, if you guys remember The Mechanic was a remake of a Charles Bronson film starring Jason Statham, well, it looks like the film will be getting a sequel and Jason Statham will be reprising his role as Arthur Bishop. Also joining him in that cast, uh, joining him in that film is Tommy Lee Jones, Jessica Alba, and Michelle Yeoh. Definitely uh, more high-grade casting for a film that was basically a remake the first time around. I did enjoy the mechanic. I felt that Jason Statham, even though he was playing the same guy, uh, did a fitting homage to the late Charles Bronson. So um, that film will be hitting theaters January 22nd, 2016. Uh, The other film that people are talking about is a film called Criminal with Kevin Costner, And um, he's going to be alongside another great cast, including Tommy Lee Jones, Ryan Reynolds, Gary Oldman, Gal Gadot, and Alice Eve. That film will hit theaters August 2015. And basically the premise is that Kevin Costner is a criminal who has his memories and skills of a CIA, who has the memories and skills of a CIA agent implanted into his brain. So a very interesting concept and a very solid cast. Those two films, of course, the mechanic sequel being the, the bigger news item for for yours truly will be uh, two films that are going to be on our radar. Another sequel that kind of was inadvertently leaked and then later on confirmed was another Jason Bourne with Matt Damon reprising his role as Jason Bourne on screen with Paul Greengrass agreeing to come back to bring another Bourne to the big screen, another Bourne film to the big screen. Now, my take on this is... I have no issues with the Bourne films. I think that they are solid movies with uh, a great plot. And I feel that you can tell some really great stories, especially if you've read the books. But we are we're in an interesting phase now because you have Jason Bourne coming back, um, being reprised by Matt Damon. And then you have, of course, Aaron Cross, who was the character created for um, Grumpy Cat himself. Um, And the thing that gets me with this is and and, uh for Jeremy Renner, that's why I call uh, Grumpy Cat. Um, obviously, you want to kind of tease some sort of an exchange between both both characters on screen, but by basically splitting the the universe into these two characters, at some point they will definitely have to meet. Um, hearing that Paul Greengrass is involved once again is is something that I'm looking forward to. I mean, Matt Damon has gone on record saying numerous times that he would jump back into the Bourne role as long as Paul Greengrass was involved. So again, we will be expecting that film in theaters. As of right now, they have it scheduled for July 15th, 2016. So there you have it, Bourne heading back to the to the big screen. Now, let's uh, switch gears and talk box office totals. Of course, Big Hero 6 came in at number one, earning $56.2 million. You can read our review of the film on RageWorks. Coming in at number two was Interstellar, earning $50 million. The film, I actually wanted to go see Interstellar more so than Big Hero 6, but as the weeks progressed, I started just leaning more towards Big Hero 6. Um, A lot of people that I know that have seen Interstellar have been giving me mixed reviews. I would like to see it, though, because I hear that just the cinematography and just the IMAX presentation uh, alone are a sight to see. So 
We'll see if we get to see that this weekend. If not, um, we're hopefully going to have a review for it before the year is out. Um, Of course, The Hunger Games comes out on the 21st, and none of this will mean anything because that film will probably take over the box office for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Slick writes, Rich gets his jollies off of IMAX. You know what it is? Uh, The IMAX presentations, when it's a film that really takes full advantage of it, it's just it's just worthy of me spending the money to go to the theater. Uh, we all know that movie theater excursions cost a lot of dough between the price between the price and the concessions. When it's all said and done, you've spent if you're going with another person at least 50 bucks. So if you're going to see if you're going to spend 50 bucks on that type of a film, you want to have just an amazing experience. And I think that when you see an IMAX movie done right, which is amazing visuals, you truly appreciate it. I mean, that's the way that's the way I see it. Um, you know, you go to the theater for for Big Hero 6 uh, as an example. I went to see Big Hero 6. I didn't see it in 3D and I saw it on just a standard screen and it was great. It was a great film. I would have liked to have seen it on a more on a more aggressively, uh, you know, RPX or even IMAX just because I feel that the visuals and the color were were tremendous. So Again, for a film like Interstellar, everybody says that the visuals alone are are worth checking out. Uh, Gone Girl came in at number three. Ouija was number four. St. Vincent was number five. Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal was number six. I've heard pretty good stuff about that film. I want to try and see it before it gets pulled out of theaters. Fury was number seven. Uh, John Wick was number eight, another film that's on my list that I have to see before it gets pulled. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good Day was number nine. And The Book of Life comes in at number 10 again all of these films that there there's definitely a couple of solid ones there um the hunger games is hitting theaters on the 21st so again any if there are any films on this list that are on the verge of being pulled that you haven't seen yet i recommend you do because obviously films like the hunger games are going to be shown on multiple screens so definitely make it a point like for me personally i want to try and get out to see john wick uh before it gets pulled Nightcrawler as well, just because I have a feeling that film is going to have a limited shelf life. But um, we'll see what happens. Of course, when we talk about it, uh, the following on the 26th, on the 26th show, we'll see what the Hunger Games did and how long they will hold on to the top slot. Now, let's jump a little bit into the, the small screen side of things with some really, really cool news. If you're a fan of the Evil Dead series with Bruce Campbell, I am pleased to report that the Evil Dead will be coming back, but not to the big screen, but to the small screen. Uh, courtesy of Stars, Bruce Campbell will be reprising his role of Ash, and it's going to be t- a 10-episode, half-hour sequel series that will be premiering in 2015. I'm a huge Evil Dead fan, and I love all of Bruce Campbell's work. Uh, films like Evil Dead, Bubba Hotep, his work on Burn Notice, um, you know, his work on... Uh, Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. Bruce Campbell is one of those guys. He's iconic in every role he has. He brings something unique to it. And for him to go back to the the role that essentially made him famous and give us Evil Dead fans something something that we can enjoy is something me personally, I'm very excited for. I know a lot of you guys have um, your own thoughts on on the Evil Dead series and Bruce Campbell. But if, if you truly are a fan, 2015 is your year as the film, as, excuse me, as the TV series hits the stars network. If you don't have stars, definitely check with your local provider and see if it is available. All right. So 
when I started the show this evening, I said we were going to have a what the fuck movie news segment. And um, this time it is a Marvel film that has the honor of bringing that segment to us. And it is the brand new Fantastic Four. Now, many of you know that the brand new Fantastic Four has had a lot of changes from Johnny Storm now being African-American to changes in the costumes, to changes in the origins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Marvel has gone as far as canceling the Fantastic Four comic series because there is a rumor going around that Marvel does not want the movie to succeed so that they can secure the rights to Marvel's first family. Take that with a grain of salt because obviously Marvel is not going to go on record acknowledging that as fact. Now, Toby Kebbell did an interview recently with Collider about Doom and how he is going to be a factor in the upcoming Fantastic Four film. And I want to share this with you guys because if you guys are longtime comic fans, you know that Dr. Doom, a.k.a. Victor Von Doom, was a colleague of Reed Richards and Obviously, he put on the mask and it burned his face and he's he, he's heavily scarred, but he's also a genius and the leader of Latveria, etc., etc., etc. If you don't know, Wikipedia is your friend in this instance, but the Victor Von Doom that we know is not what they plan to bring to the screen with Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. Toby Kebbell said the following, uh, Victor Von Doom will not be Victor Von Doom. He will be Victor uh, Damashev. And he is a programmer. So right there, big red flag, not Dr. Doom, not Von Doom, but Victor Domashev, not a leader of Latveria, not a well, a successful businessman, but a programmer. He says the following, and I quote, uh, he's Victor Domashev, not Victor Von Doom in our story. And I'm sure I'll be sent to jail for telling you that. The Doom in ours is a programmer, a very antisocial programmer, and on blogging sites, he will be known as Doom. He said, um, the thing I really concentrated on for Dr. Doom, or just Doom as we've got him, was the voice. Even in the animated series, they never got his voice the way I imagined it. The film itself and the way I want to present it is, you know, I want to present it differently. It's just one of those things where you know, it's not just about being a fan, but it's just delivering doom the way I wanted to see. Now, you know, obviously I, I, I flesh that out a bit, but here's the thing. The film stars Miles Teller, Kate Mara, Jamie Bell, Michael B. Jordan, and Tim Blake Nelson, and is scheduled to hit theaters August 7th, 2015. Now, looking at that statement from Toby Kebble, I have to say this. I understand wanting to change Human Torch, make him African-American. Sure, it's not going to be an agreeable change, but it's a change that many people can look past. But when you are basically reinventing a character as iconic as Dr. Doom and taking away everything that made that character iconic for the sake of this brand new take on the character, you risk alienating the audience that is going to go to see this film. Like... If you look at the original, the Fantastic Four movies that came out recently, Doctor Doom was a successful businessman from Latveria. He wasn't the ruler, but he was a successful businessman that, you know, obviously was at odds with Reed Richards due to the way they viewed the world and just the objectives that they had as individuals. Now, 
You're taking that character. Now you're making him an antisocial programmer and you're just changing the entire framework of what makes that character who he is. That alone is definitely something that raises a red flag for me personally, not just as a comic fan, but just as an individual that has been following the Fantastic Four since since he was a little boy. I mean, you know, I, my, my first foray into the Fantastic Four were was an issue that somebody gave me, which is, of course, the iconic Fantastic Four number one, and it was all ripped up and tore up, but that was one of the first comic books I read when I was a kid, and I enjoyed the story, I enjoyed the characters, I enjoyed the dynamic, and one of the things that has made the Fantastic Four so unique, obviously, is, is them being Marvel's first family, and it's one of those things when you talk to people about Marvel and what characters come to mind, obviously Wolverine, the X-Men, and Spider-Man, but the Fantastic Four definitely has, a, when you talk about what, what was the framework for the Marvel Universe, you can't forget Marvel's first family. So to see what they're doing and how they're changing it and the liberties they're taking, it really does concern me. And um, I almost feel that the, the necessity to cancel the Fantastic Four series just to eliminate them, their, their presence in pop culture shows that Marvel has no belief in this project. Now, if it was what if if it's to be believed what they did, well, correction. If what they did is to be believed, then I would say that I would not be shocked if the rights for Fantastic 4 do not revert back to Marvel and Disney at least in 2018 or 2019 depending on how long of a contract they have unless of course they buy the rights outright in order to put them into the Infinity War films. But Again, that's something that take that with a grain of salt. That's me just speculating. But either way, I don't I don't hold hope for this film being successful. On the flip side, the other the other bit of um, what the fuck movie news goes to a rumor that is now fact that I discussed a couple of months back. And that is the sequel for my big fat Greek wedding, which is going to happen. Um. The film, of course, was picked up by Universal, according to Variety, and it is getting made. So there you have it. There is a sequel to My Big Fat Greek Wedding heading your way once we get a release date. If you're into that sort of thing, we will definitely share it with you guys. Now, the next bit of Marvel news will definitely ruffle Slick's feathers because he's going to probably write, what the hell are they thinking? Well, According to Latino Review, you can take this with a grain of salt, but Latino Review's been pretty good with their news as of late. It looks like they're like Fox is planning to do a standalone film about Aunt May. Where Aunt May is a spy and that Peter Parker's parent Peter Parker's parents were spies. According to what Latino Review is saying is that they want to go with um obviously a younger Aunt May. It wouldn't include Spider-Man at all, and it would be an espionage story with a Mad Men-like vibe, based on what Latino Review says. Um, this joins a large group of attempts by Sony to get as much money out of the Spider-Man property as possible, including, obviously, the Sinister Six, Venom, and a female-led Spider-Man movie, codenamed The Glass Ceiling. Uh, the, spy the latter would feature female Spider-Man universe characters that have never appeared on screen and have never teamed up in comics. Again, this is according to the Latino Review. Um, here's a couple of things 
doing a film based on Aunt May is just a recipe for disaster. As much as and as much of an iconic character as Aunt May is, again, retconning her origins and her stories for the sake of squeezing money out of the Spider-Man property is what, what you're going to end up doing is frustrating your audience and pissing them off to the point where they don't want to invest money in your properties. I am not comfortable with that at all. I mean, if you want to do something about Peter Parker's parents, sure, you could do that. If you want to do the film about Venom, okay. Sinister Six, no problem. If you want to go Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man, sure. But Aunt May's character has always just been a character that drives Peter Parker, that drives Spider-Man, whether it's through guidance or, or through action. You know, an Aunt May espionage story, really, on the big screen? Not so much. And, of course, Slick writes in the chat, the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> so, there you have it. The The rumor mills are churning, and you can check it out on Latino Review if you want to get the full breakdown. So, it, it's uh, definitely something that uh, I, I personally think is a bad, bad idea. Anyway. I wanted to put this out there because I know a lot of guys that listen to the show that are huge fans of Lord of the Rings. Um, it looks like when the Battle of the Five Armies hits the big screen, uh, certain IMAX theaters, select theaters, according to OneRing.net, will be showing all three films in a marathon on December 15th. That will be two days before the final film hits theaters. Now, of course, the tickets for the marathon go on sale starting tomorrow. And as of right now, it looks like they are shooting for tentative show times of The Unexpected Journey at 1, The Desolation of Smog at 4.05, and then Battle of the Five Armies at 7 p.m. So if you are a huge Lord of the Rings fan and you want to spend your entire day in a theater, then you can pre-order those tickets starting tomorrow. That way you can spend your entire day in the theater watching the adventures of Bilbo Baggins. That is some crazy stuff. I like Lord of the Rings as much as the next guy, but that is a long time to be in the theater. That's for, that's for shit sure. Um, I did want to talk about the rumors going about going around about the Suicide Squad film, which, as many of you may have read on countless sites, right now has you know there's a strong rumor which is all all but confirmed, not a hundred percent yet that Margot Robbie will be playing Harlequin and that they're looking at Jared Leto to play the Joker. Also rumored to join the cast are Tom Hardy and Will Smith. But another character that is rumored to already be cast is Deadshot, who as of right now, they're looking at Jai Courtney, who many of you may have known from A Good Day to Die Hard, Terminator Genesis, or from Spartacus, Blood and Sand. He may be in the running to play Deadshot on the big screen. Um, the Suicide Squad is scheduled to hit theaters in the summer of 2016. Again, casting is not 100% confirmed. There's been a lot of names floating around, but until a full official recognized Warner Brothers DC release is put out with the cast, take this with a grain of salt. But the I will say that the Margot Robbie casting for Harlequin is very interesting. As for Jared Leto as the Joker... I'm not going to speak negatively about it for the time being because those of us that were complaining about Heath Ledger, needless to say, we know that many of us were proven wrong for that. So we'll see how that goes. I wanted to close out with um, 
the brand new release date for The Conjuring 2, which is set to hit theaters June 10th, 2016 now. And also a rumor that Justin Lin may be returning to the director's chair for Fast and Furious 8, will be the, which will be the final film in the series. That's what the rumors are saying. Um, of course, Fast and Furious 7 will be hitting theaters next year. And it looks to be an amazing send-off for Paul Walker. And um, once we get more news about that, we will definitely share it with you guys. All right. So with that, that is actually going to wrap up this week's show. A couple of things before we close it out. Of course, you can find archived episodes of My Take Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If you want to join us live, My Take Radio airs every Wednesday and every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. On Wednesday nights, we discuss MMA and professional wrestling. And on Thursday nights, we break down gaming and entertainment, sometimes with a little bit of tech, a little bit of tech sprinkled in. Now, if you want to follow us, you can find My Take Radio on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. On Twitter, it's at My Take Radio. On Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash My Take Radio. And of course, if you punch in My Take Radio on Google+, you will find us there. For all our movie reviews, product reviews, and all our other content, make sure to hit up the official parent company of My Take Radio. It is RageWorks.net. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks on Twitter, Rage underscore Works. And of course, if you're into Instagram, you can follow me on there. It's RageWorks underscore Rich on Instagram. And of course, we have our boards on Pinterest and our circles on Google+. Now, if you did not get to see a video version of the show, you can watch those on our YouTube channels for My Take Radio. It's My Take Radio TV. And of course, for Rageworks, it is official Rageworks on YouTube. All right, so that's going to wrap it up. On, my, on behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, Andrea, Josh, The Rightist, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, if you're getting the shows via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really, really appreciate it. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. That's all, folks.